Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we are following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Invisible Hate. I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. Invisible Hate is a weekly true crime podcast in which Sadia and I attempt to uncover the ugly truth behind various hate crimes, both recent and historical. Many of the cases that we discuss involve crimes committed against minority groups. Our goal is to determine through a discussion of the nuances and complexities of these unfortunate situations whether or not these transgressions can be considered hate crimes. That's right. Salia, how was your week? Oh my gosh, Asad. I really wanted you to ask me this question today (laughs) (laughs) because my week is going great. Invisible Hate was featured in Harper's Bazaar. Yeah, that was crazy. When you said that to me, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know how that happened, but that was pretty cool. It happened organically, Asad. You know, what better way for it to happen than organically. I know, right, for sure. And we are number two among top 50 hate crime documentaries. It's an honor. And I really want to take a moment to thank our listeners who are in this space with us right now, those who've listened to our previous episodes, our new listeners, our incredible team, Emmanuel Monahan, Paroma Chakravarti, Michaela Strather. And you and I, Asit, we don't do a bad job either, right? Yeah, I think I think you do a pretty good job. I, I There's room for improvement for, for me, but, you know, I think that you do a great job. For both of us. But I'm so happy, Asit. I'm so happy. Yeah, it was great. But, you know, you texted me at whatever it was on Saturday or Sunday night. And, you know, the headline of the article is like, whatever, 40 or 50 true crime documentaries. And I was like, oh, my God, does she want me to watch or listen to all these? Oh, no. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then I clicked on the link and I saw that we were there. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, but it is good. You know, I think that we should look at all of them. Maybe we can just start uh, discussing all of the entries there. You're right. And if any of our listeners are interested in knowing more about this feature, you can check it out. We've posted it on all our socials. And by the way, guys, if there is a list happening anywhere and if you think Invisible Hate should be part of it, recommend us. That's how we grow, right? 100%. And if you do, we'll buy you a coffee. How about that? <laughs> Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> I think uh, dealer's choice. Fair enough, I said. So should we get started? <laughs> yeah, let's get started today. Our story today takes us to Olathe, Kansas in February of 2017. The patio door swings open as a man enters the restaurant his face masked by a blue and white scarf. In his hands, a semi-automatic pistol. 
His target? Two Indian men sitting at a nearby table. Before anyone can react, he raises his gun, takes aim, and starts shooting at the men. What was once a pleasant and peaceful Wednesday evening transforms into an absolute nightmare. Bullets tear through the air, terrified customers run left and right, the two men fall to the floor, and all the while, the blue-scarfed man keeps on shooting. He fires eight rounds of bullets in total, and then he's gone, the patio door slamming shut behind him. In his wake, three men are shot, and one person is dead. This is Invisible Hate. Asit, this is such a tragic incident. As I was reading about it, I felt sick to my stomach. It's like being in a restaurant, in a safe space. We've all been there. And then for somebody to be murdered, killed mercilessly in that space is so tragic and horrific. That's exactly right. Like how many times have we all been in a restaurant and it's loud and you're just having a good time and then for, you know, this to happen, oof, wow, just so scary. So I said, let's get into the details of the case. Yeah, sure. So, Sadi, it's around 6.30 in the evening on February 22nd, 2017. A 51-year-old white man named Adam Purrington sits by himself on the front patio of Austin's Bar and Grill in Olathe, Kansas. At a table to Purrington's right sit two Indian engineers, Shrinivas Kochibutla and Alok Matasani. The two men have come to the grill to enjoy an after-work drink. The patio is calm and peaceful as soft chatter fills the air. This sense of peace doesn't last long, though, Sadia. Mm. Purrington soon spots the two men sitting to his right, and he decides to confront them. And at 6.40, so just about 10 minutes later, he rises from his chair, walks over to the men, and immediately demands to know where they're from and how they got to this country. Sadia, we know this story, right? We've seen this play Absolutely, out time yes, and time Absolutely. again. Absolutely. In an interview with the BBC News, here's how Madasani explains it. He came towards me and said, which country are you from? Are you here illegally? Purrington then aggressively pokes Kuchibotla in the chest, calling him a terrorist, as well as other offensive things used to describe people of Middle Eastern descent. And just to note, Sadia, obviously, he's Indian, he's not Middle Eastern. He then shouts, get out of my country. Madasani, he hears this and he gets up and he goes inside to get the manager to actually, you know, to try to get this guy kicked out. Meanwhile, other people take notice of what's happening, including a 24-year-old named Ian Grillot and another patron intervene, and Purrington is then escorted out of the bar. And then Sadia, which is, you know, this is like really cool, according to the New York Times, like fellow patrons are apologetic assuring the men that they're welcome in the bar, that they can stay, and that, you know, that this is not representative of, you know, them in the community. I said it's nice to hear that fellow customers rally around the men, but imagine this happening to someone at the bar, right? It is completely unprovoked, something that they probably weren't expecting. It's extremely aggressive. If I were in that situation... I would be pretty shaken. So is that the end of it then? Yeah, I think you know that it's not, unfortunately. You know, this is far from the end. 
After being ejected from the bar, Purrington gets in his truck and then drives home. And then at home, he retrieves a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. He then changes his shirt and wraps a blue and white scarf around his face before getting back in his truck and driving back to the restaurant. And at approximately 7.12, so about, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes later, he parks walks over to the grill's enclosed patio and enters the restaurant. He then raises his gun, and this is Madasani again describing what happened. All I heard was, he is back with a gun. You're, you know, you're drinking beer, you're with your friend, you hear, next thing, he's back with a gun. And I heard a pop. Next thing I know, I was right on the ground. The bullet strikes Marasani in his thigh and he falls to the floor. Purrington then shoots Kochibutla a total of four times and he too collapses to the ground. Purrington shoots eight full rounds in total before fleeing the scene. And as he runs from the grill, that guy Ian Grillot, the young man who had escorted Purrington out from the bar just, you know, half an hour before, attempts to catch up to him. But as he does, Purrington turns and shoots Grillot in the hand and chest basically making him incapacitated. He then gets back in his truck and flees the scene. Meanwhile, Sadia, as you can imagine, is just like chaos in the restaurant, right? Like yeah. the shooting just happened. Here's Madasani again describing the scene. I was yelling for everybody, like, wait, wait, you know, help, help. I got shot, I got shot, friend got shot. All I saw was uh, Trini was you know, lying there motionless. I can say one guy, you know, Brad, he just took out his shirt and wrapped it around my leg so tight that I just couldn't feel anything. So all three men, Sadia, are taken to the hospital. Thankfully, both Marasani and Grillot make a full recovery. Unfortunately, though, Kochibutla does not. He passes away at the hospital shortly after the shooting, unable to recover from his fatal injuries. I said, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around why someone would do something so awful. But to be honest, we see this happening again and again. Ordinary yeah. people doing evil stuff. And sometimes I think it is lack of empathy, basic humanity that makes people react the way Purrington reacted, right? Yeah. So how did people respond to this horrific crime then? As you can imagine, there was huge outcry. Kochibotla's wife, Sunyana Dumala, was absolutely devastated by the news of her husband's death. According to NBC News, Dumala described her husband as the love of her life, a true friend, and her biggest support system. But despite her sorrow, Dumala had no intention of letting Purinton's message of hate win. She decided to fight back. Here she is talking with the Hindustan Times, demanding answers to her husband's death. He has taken a life, a very lovable soul, from everyone. His parents, my parents, our entire family back home is in grief. And I need an answer that what is that they're going to do to stop this hate crime. With the help of her employer, In Touch Solutions, Dumala then launched a social media campaign entitled Forever Welcome. The campaign works to advance the American dream by fostering inclusive and welcoming communities through awareness, advocacy, and action. And then while Forever Welcome began as a simple campaign, 
It has actually evolved into a complete nonprofit organization, Sadia. Mm. According to NBC News, their goal is to help ensure that the U.S. is a safe place for current and future immigrant generations to pursue their dreams. And then beyond the campaign, Dumala took a lot of actions, you know, in support of her husband. She organized a peace walk for her husband on his birthday, March 9th. The group walked from Kuchibotla's company Garmin to the Austin Bar and Grill and back. She then took part in a panel highlighting victims and survivors of hate crimes. And she was really just public, Sadia. She was out there raising awareness about what happened and speaking out against hatred and negativity that they see in the country. So that's such an incredible thing to do. And Dumala became a voice for positive change, which is so incredible, especially, you know, emerging from such tragedy. But at the same time, it makes me think, what does all of this achieve, right? A lot of times immigrants uh, or minorities are confronted with these realities and they advocate, they mobilize, they come together. But at the end of the day, America is becoming more and more intolerant. Yeah, Sadi, I feel like it's just a constant battle, right? As immigrants or people that support the immigrant community, you just have to constantly kind of be on offense and I guess on defense as well. But you really need to continually share that message of inclusivity and that you are no different than anybody else. And I think you're right, Sadia, that we are seeing more and more hatred and negativity in this country. And, and that's the reason why I think so many of us have to be more vocal about the importance of inclusivity, immigration, all that kind of stuff. You're absolutely right, Asad. And to all our listeners who are sharing this space with us right now, it is tiring for all of us. It really is. And we talk a lot about mental health, but we don't talk as much about the impact of these incidents, not just individuals, on communities. Anyways, we are going to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll be discussing the victims and the perpetrator in greater depth. Welcome back. This is Invisible Hate. So Asad, can you tell us more about Kuchibotla and Madhasani? Yeah, Sadia, absolutely. So at the time of the shooting, Kuchibotla was only 32 years old. So, so young. He worked as an aviation systems engineer and programs manager at the GPS maker Garmin. Originally, he was from Hyderabad in India, and he was actually in the U.S. on a temporary H-1B visa. For those of you that don't know what an H-1B temporary work visa is here in the States, it is essentially a temporary visa that is granted through sponsoring U.S. companies to foreign workers with bachelor degrees in specialty programs such as engineering, computer programming, and science. You know, Sadia, what's really unfortunate is that after Kuchibotla's death, his wife, Suniyana Dumala, lost her U.S. resident status as it had been tied to Kuchibotla's immigration status through their marriage. Thankfully, Kansas Representative Kevin Yoder stepped in to help the mullah acquire a temporary work visa. Wow, I am so glad, Asad, that, you know, somebody stepped in. And it's a huge relief. But you know what, as you were narrating this, I was thinking about all the different visas that my husband and I were on. And yeah. he was on H-1B, I was on H-4. And it just reminds me of 
so many things that immigrants have to deal with, not just hatred, but a broken immigration system. This episode, this conversation, this narration is making me so emotional. Mm. And I just hope and wish that people understood what immigrants go through in this country. Yeah, you know, Sally, I think that this was really surprising and shocking to me and something that I haven't really put together, the idea mm -hmm. that if someone who passed away, you know, was on a certain visa and his spouse or, you know, if they had kids were on other visas, then they would have to, you know, go back home or lose. Like, that, I guess that as someone who's a citizen, I hadn't really thought that through. Uh, and it's really, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that the representative, you know, stepped in to help them get that temporary work visa. But like, you can imagine the scenarios uh, that are playing out in this country as we speak, not because of murder, but because of just natural death of families being broken apart and, you know, people having to go back to countries where they haven't lived in, you know, a generation or decades or whatever it may be, right? Like, it's it just seems like it's such a, a stupid system, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And it's a long and arduous process. It took us eight years to get our citizenship. I said eight wow. years. Anyways, going back to the case, now Dumala and Kuchibotla seemed really close. How did the two of them meet? Yeah, so Dumala met Kuchibotla while applying to universities here in the U.S. The two had dated for about six years before getting married in October of 2012. They moved to Olathe, Kansas in January of 2014. And according to Dumala, she and Kuchibotla had plans to grow their family and raise kids. Dumala described Kuchibotla as kind and caring and respectful of others. He loved politics, I guess, and getting his fix from newspapers, network news, and radio shows. And, you know, the couple saw they were just leading a very normal, happy life before Puritan, you know, turned their world upside down. That's so sad, I said. The human life ruined by a single horrendous choice by one horrible man on one particular day, right? Yeah. So what about Madhasani? Yeah, so Madhasani originally was from India. He worked as an engineer at Garmin also alongside Kuchibotla. The two had been friends, hence their decision to get drinks together on that night. As far as we know, Madhasani still works at Garmin, having thankfully fully recovered from his injuries. That's great to hear that Madhasani was able to make a full recovery. But imagine, Asad, having been through that tragic incident and having to go back to work without his friend, right? Yeah, so much of this is just heartbreaking and that you're, you know, I'm sure there's some survivor's guilt that he's probably facing and yeah, all all, of, all the emotions for sure. What about the awful man that committed this atrocious act? I said, can you tell us more about Purington? Yeah, so Purington is a Navy veteran and a resident of Olathe, Kansas, and he was 51 years old at the time of the shooting. According to the New York Times, family members and neighbors claim that the veteran long suffered from alcoholism. He was described as whimsical, clumsy, and awkward, particularly when he was drunk. Purington seemed to really struggle after his father passed away in 2015. What had once been harmless drunkenness morphed into something more sinister. Purinton's niece, Adele Matthews, told the New York Times, We all thought he was going to commit suicide. We didn't think that he was going to do this. 
prior to her grandfather's passing, Matthews had been close to her uncle. However, Purinton's relationship with the family began to fray after his father's death. He broke ties with the family in 2016 when he was kicked out of a family Christmas party after showing up drunk and belligerent. After that, he continued to struggle with anxiety, depression, alcoholism, and occasionally alcohol withdrawal-induced psychosis, all of which he took medications for. In short, Sadia Purinton was in a pretty bad place. Yeah, it definitely seems like he wasn't doing well. He was pretty messed up, Asad. So we are going to take another quick break, but when we return, we'll be discussing the investigation and trials following the shooting. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So I said, what happened after Purinton fled the scene on February 22nd, 2017? So that's a great question, Sadia. So yeah, we're back at that night in February. Purrington has just gotten into his truck and driven away from Austin's Bar and Grill after having shot Kuchibotla, Madasani, and Grillat. He then drives about 70 miles to an Applebee's restaurant in Clinton, Missouri. He intends on getting as far away from the crime scene as possible. However, despite his initial survival instincts, Purrington's next steps are self-defeating, to say the least. In a phone call with a friend, he actually admits to having killed two men. He then tells the Applebee's bartender that he had just shot two, quote, Iranian people in Olathe and is now looking for a place to hide. And then, unsurprisingly, the bartender actually calls the police. Here is the recording of the 911 call released by a CNN affiliate. KSHB. 911. Um, I need to report something. He told me that he had done something really bad and he was on the run from the police. And he said like, that he shot and killed two Iranian people in Olathe. And I looked it up on the news and there was a shooting like three hours ago. He like made me promise I wouldn't call the police. But there's people in the building, and I'm afraid he's going to freak out if he sees the cops. Minutes later, police arrive on the scene, and Purrington gives himself up without a fight. And then following his capture, the case was investigated jointly by the Olathe Police Department and the Kansas City Division of the FBI in order to fully understand the full extent of the gunman's crimes. In the process, investigators discover that there had in fact been warning signs for Purrington's rampage, he had displayed racist behavior just weeks before the shooting, Slavia. And then get this, this incident was at the same bar with the same two men. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so just a couple weeks before on this night, Purrington had been sitting by himself in the bar area while Kochibutla and Marasani sat on the patio having a drink. And then, you know, that night, Purrington actually asked some other customer, quote, did you see the terrorists on the patio? Asad, this is just so bizarre to me. So it's with the same men? The same two men, yeah. Wow. So given that the evidence seemed to be stacking against him, I assume Purinton went to court? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so he did in fact go to court. According to local news, on May 1st, 2018, Johnson County District Court Judge Charles Drogue 
sentenced Purrington to life, including 50 years, without the possibility of parole. The sentence came after Purrington pled guilty to the state charge of premeditated first-degree murder in the death of Cochibutla. Purrington also received two sentences of 165 months, so almost 14 years, on two counts of attempted premeditated first-degree murder. All three sentences are to be served concurrently. So Sadi, in addition to the state charges, Purrington also faced federal hate crime and firearm charges, and he actually agreed to a plea deal for these charges in May of 2018. In this deal, he essentially agreed to accept the maximum sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. In turn, prosecutors agreed not to pursue a death sentence. According to the Justice Department, Purrington had essentially admitted in open court that he targeted and shot Kuchibotla and Marasane because of their race, color, and national origin. So this was in May. Purrington, though, wasn't officially sentenced until August of 2018. And according to the PBS News, on August 7, 2018, Kuchibotla's wife, Gumala, addressed Purrington in court via a written statement read by a prosecutor. She wrote, and I quote, If you could have kept your anger inside and spoke to my husband softly, Srinu would have been more than happy to share his background and help you understand that not every brown-skinned person is suspicious or evil, but kind, smart, and contributing to America. Instead, you chose to rage and bully and anger and when you were stopped, you decided to take their lives, end quote. On the same day, federal prosecutors officially sentenced Purrington to life in prison for his federal crimes, and once again, the sentence was served concurrently with the three state sentences. That's great news, Asad. Good riddance. At least he's gone forever. Yeah. With that, should we get to our primary discussion of the episode? Should Purinton's shooting of Kuchibotla and Madhusani be considered a hate crime? Yeah, I think, Sadia, this appears very much to be a hate crime. And, you know, in part because he <laughs> pled guilty to such, you know, but, you know, let's look at the facts. So Purrington aggressively approaches and harasses Kuchibotla and Madhusani merely because of their status as immigrants and his belief that they are Iranian. He then goes home and retrieves his gun with the sole purpose of returning to the bar and harming the two men merely because they aren't white. The fact that he has been uh, charged with committing a hate crime actually, you know, only further emphasizes this point. Absolutely, Asad. Now, the only complicating factor in this case, as with many of the cases we discuss, is Purinton's poor mental health at the time yeah. of the shooting, right? His intense grief following his father's death, combined with his struggles with alcoholism, anxiety and depression, to complicate our analysis of the situation. But I said the way I see it, regardless of how depressed, anxious or drunk he was, it is unlikely that the same situation would have occurred had the two men been white as their status as Indian men or as he thought Iranian men seemed to be the aggravating factor. And to me, it is a premeditated murder, right? He goes back, he gets his gun, he comes back, he shoots them. He had plenty of time to process his emotions and thoughts. That's exactly right. He walked into that bar and he pointed his gun only at the two brown people that were there, you know, and so 
completely for me this is a hate crime for me too asad absolutely so where are purinton madasani and grilag today asad so yeah purinton continues to serve out his life sentence in prison where he will likely remain for the rest of his life madasani and grilag have thankfully both recovered from their gunshot wounds and have now returned to their regular lives that's good 100% agree we hope that they've been able to recover from the trauma of this shooting as for the family and friends of Kochubutla we can only hope that despite the immense grief and suffering uh, that they've been forced to endure that they are leading happy and healthy lives but you know Saudia this is not an isolated incident as we talked about earlier immigrants and minority groups across the country continue to face discrimination prejudice and hate just a few days after Kochubutla and Marasani were shot Another Indian man was shot and injured outside of his home in Kent, Washington. It's so sad. The attacker yelled, "Go back to your country." It's like so annoying as when people say that. I completely agree and it it's so triggering for so many people, right? And uh that's why they say it, right? You know, Sadi, I think that conservative politicians and their anti-immigration rhetoric are further evidence of existing animosity towards immigrants. We hope that in continuing to highlight the experiences of immigrants and other minority groups that we can shed light on the severity of this problem and encourage change for the better. You're absolutely right Asad. So how can our listeners help? Uh there are a bunch of ways, but I think for starters, listeners can help support the protection of immigrants through the Mullah's nonprofit organization Forever Welcome. Listeners can also donate to other organizations like the ACLU and the National Immigration Law Center. Thank you so much for listening to Invisible Hate. If you want to learn more, check out links in the show notes about the case. Please don't forget to email us your thoughts on this story or any other story that you think we should cover. You can reach us at info@invisiblehatepodcast.com. At you can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. We are posting important stuff on our social media. So don't forget to check that out including our feature in Harper's Bazaar. Yeah, got to definitely check that out. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Refelion Media and Immigrantly. We'd like to thank our team which includes Michaela Strather, Emmanuel Monahan and Purma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson and we will be back next week with another hate crime for us to analyze. Until then, I'm Asad Butt and I'm Sadia Khan. Take care. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our US-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com/aware.